invite you to open your Bible with me this morning as we continue our study of the book of Romans, and we're in Romans chapter 8, and we've uh, already studied the first four verses, taking our time because there's such a fire hose of gospel truth in these, in these verses, but this morning we're going to take from 5 through 11, and um, we're going to see how Paul is describing the essential nature of a Christian. In verses 5 through 11, And so let's give our attention to God's Word, Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 11. And just for context, Paul has just said in verse 4, that verse 3, that God uh, has condemned sin in the flesh in the death of Christ, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And now Paul's going to take that dichotomy, that division, according to the flesh and according to the Spirit, verses 5 through 8, he's going to primarily be talking about what it means to live according to the flesh, and then verse um, 9 through 11, uh, he's primarily talking about what is true for those who walk and live according to the Spirit. Let's give our attention to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's come to the Lord as we open his word together. And Father, now, once again, we rely upon that poured-out Holy Spirit to lead us and teach us the things of God and to give us the ability to understand. And so, Lord, please mold us and make us according to your word this morning, and we'll give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'd like to start just by asking, um, are you a Christian? If I, if I came to you and asked you that question this morning, uh, what would you say? Are you a Christian? And if you say uh, yes to that, praise the Lord, but I'd, I'd like to ask you then another question, and, and that would be, what does that mean? How, define that for me. How do you define yourself as a Christian? Just, just flesh that answer out. Yes, I'm a Christian. Okay, Un, unpack that. What is... What is true, uh, what would you say is true about yourself as, as, you, as you think about what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and my guess would be that most of us would probably point to something that we have done or something that we are doing. So we would say, well, I believe in Jesus, uh, or I'm, I'm uh, striving to live the Christian life. We, we would generally define the term by pointing to something we have done or something we're doing, and that's not wrong. It's just, it's, it's just not the best. Um, Paul in Romans 
particularly, is, is striving to get us to define ourselves according not to what we have done or are doing, but to what God has done and what God is doing. That's the glory of what it means to be a Christian. If you imagine that you are um, a, a painting, right, on a wall, maybe one of the Dutch masters, um, Vermeer maybe, and there you are, and someone asks, right, comes and says to you, Mr. Painting, uh, what are you? D -d 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 Tell me what you, what you are. Well, I'm a painting, and I, I hang here on the south wall. I, I try to keep things straight. It's, it's awkward when you get out of balance. And you did, Mr. Painting is talking all about what he's trying to do. Well, he's missing the whole point. He's a creation. He's a work of art. Uh, his, his glory isn't how well he hangs on the wall. His glory is that, that he is a, he's been a, a created masterpiece by this magnificent artist. Well, the same is, is true for us. It, this, the glory of our life is that we are clay in the hands of the potter, and he's making something magnificent, a, a, a treasure, a masterpiece. We are, we're, we are God's workmanship, all right? God's masterpiece, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Well, this, this idea of identity really matters because we tend to live out of how we understand, how we self-define, how we understand ourselves. The ident identity is critical to, to, to how we go about life. Let me ask you this question. What is the, uh, the primary point of Marine Boot Camp? What's its purpose? Well, the, the primary purpose is to break down one's native self-identity and recraft, make a new identity. So, so you're, you're taking... Uh, Joe, the, the farmer from Oklahoma, and, and, and Billy, the kid from the Bronx, and you're breaking down the, the way that they tend to think about themselves because, you see, you're going to ask them to do things that Joe, the farmer, or Billy, the kid from the Bronx, would never imagine doing. Their identity, their new identity, is critical to them being a soldier. Um, their ability to perform right, as a soldier, is in a fundamental way rooted in their self-conscious identity as a Marine. Joe and Billy are going to begin doing things because that's what Marines do, and they're a Marine. That's how identity works. In the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, Paul, it's, it's in some way a boot camp for Christians. Uh, Paul, beginning particularly in chapter 1, verse 18, is breaking down the identity, the native identity of people. First, the Gentile population, and then the Jewish population, chapter 2 through 320. And he's just breaking this, this common conception that people have, is that we're, we're decent people who uh, deserve the favor of God in some ways. He's just tearing that all apart in the first part of Romans. And then in chapter 320 on through 4, really explaining the, the essential nature of the gospel, God doing what we could not do ourselves, God um, in Christ and by faith and grace making us righteous. And, and then in chapter 5 and 6, he's, he's, he's starting to craft the new identity. Who are you as a Christian? Well, you're someone who's been justified by, by faith and through grace, and so you're someone who actually has peace with God. That's the first part of chapter 5, objective peace with God. And you've been taken out of the, the category of 
Adam. You are not identified with Adam in his fall any longer. You are now identified with Christ and his righteousness and the life that comes with Christ. You've been taken out of the one arena and brought into this whole new realm. You are now in Christ. That's your identity. And that means in chapter 6, you're not going to sin that grace may abound. Well, of course not, because you now have been given a new identity and you've been called to walk in newness of life. You've died to the power and penalty of sin. And you now live not under law, but under grace. See, these are all identity issues. Who are you as a Christian? What has God done for you in Jesus? What is he doing in you? What's true of you by virtue of the work of God in Jesus Christ? That's your identity as a Christian. Now, you might say, well, what about the battle with sin? Well, Paul, Paul understands that. Chapter 7 is all about the battle with sin. But you see, the beautiful thing about chapter 7 is that battle doesn't, doesn't undermine or deny our identity. A battle is real. We, we find that we do things that we hate to do in our inner being with delight in God's law, and yet we find that so often, so often, uh, we find ourselves doing the very thing that we hate, and we, and we agree with the apostle when he says, wretched man that I am. That, that's, that's true. But it, but it doesn't deny our identity, and the reason is, you see, because though there is a conflict, there is no condemnation. 8 verse 1, not for those who are in Christ Jesus... It is, it is God who justified you. Who is he that condemns? Right? There's no condemnation because God has done what the law could not do. God has made us righteous. That's our identity in Jesus Christ. And now Paul is going to go on and explain uh, or at least continue to unpack who we are as he shows the radical difference between a, con between a converted person and an unconverted person. So the theme running through these verses is this great difference that, that uh, lies between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. That's the, that's the contrast. That's the, the, the distinction that Paul is going to make over and over. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we consider what does it mean to be a Christian. I'm going to start by looking at uh, those who are of the flesh. So in verse 5, Paul says, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Now the, so we'll first just look at the identity of a person in the flesh, and then secondly, we'll look at the mind of the flesh, if you're taking notes. First, the identity. The, the ESV translation of verse 5 is a little misleading, not in, uh, intentionally, of course, but I, I think they've missed what Paul is, is saying. The Paul doesn't say, where, where you see the word live, live according to the flesh, live is not the Greek word. The Greek word is to be. So what Paul is saying, those who are according to the flesh. You see, he's not pointing to their behavior, he's pointing to their nature. What is fundamentally true of them? Now, now having this flesh nature, he'll go on to show, they're going to behave in a certain way, they're going to set their mind on certain things, but the first thing he wants to point out is that, is that an unconverted person, there's something true about uh, an unconverted person about concerning their nature. Their nature is according to the flesh. Now, what does that mean? 
And this is true, of course, of every one of us by, by birth. What does this mean to be unconverted and to be of the flesh? Uh, Douglas Moo says uh, that, that this describes those who have a strictly this-world attitude. He says all people by nature derived from Adam are incurably bent toward their own good rather than the good of others or of God. And, and Paul is going to try to unpack what that means when, he's, when he talks about the mind of the flesh. He mentions it three times, verse 5, 6, and 7. Those who are of the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. Verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So let's look at the mind of an unconverted person. And we're going to look at what it focuses on. It focuses on things of the flesh. That's what he says. Paul, he says they set their mind. So that means that in their thoughts, in their inner being, they are... Uh, true north for them are, is the self, things that pertain to the self. When, when we think of the flesh, we normally think of sexual immorality. Well, the, the term is some, for something far more broad. It's just our fallen, egocentric human nature in Adam. I read an article just this week again. I, I saved up. I read it years ago. In fact, it was, I think it was published in 2005. Andrea Sue, I, I think that's how you say her name, uh, for, with World Magazine. Um, she wrote an article called 17 Minutes where she captures the, the subtle ways that the mind of the flesh works. I've, I've um, abridged it. I won't read the whole thing, but, but listen to what she says, how she describes this, this reality. She says, these are the thoughts of a woman driving home from the grocery store on an ordinary day. So nothing unusual. She sizes up a woman standing at the bus stop and judges her. She's just driving down the road. She imagines how life would have been so different if she had married someone else. This is a well-worn furrow. Somebody rides up the road shoulder and budges to the head of a traffic jam, and she hates that driver with a perfect hatred. She passes Audrey working in her garden, and she waves, but thinks, if Audrey has chronic fatigue syndrome, I'm a flying Walenda. She checks her slightly crooked nose in the mirror and rearview mirror and reassures herself that it's not too bad. She thinks of how much better her life would be if she were beautiful. She's angry at God because here she is, a Christian and broke, while her good-for-nothing heathen of a brother is rolling in dough. There are lots of other people that the woman does not think of while driving home with groceries. She doesn't think about the death sentence hang, dangling over millions in Sudan. She doesn't think about the missionaries. She doesn't think about martyrs in Kim Jong-il's prisons. She doesn't think about ways that she could encourage her children. She pulls into her driveway, total driving time, 17 minutes. And if you were to ask this lady as she rustles parcels from the car what she's been thinking about on the drive-in from town, she would say, oh, nothing, nothing. And she would not be lying. You see, the mind of the flesh is just bent towards self. You, you, you could look at that lady's behavior, and it's perfectly normal. Seems innocent. I mean, she's just thinking things. 
But you see, her mind is fixed on a little world called self. What the self thinks and what the self feels and what the self wants. That's, that's really all it deals with. That, that's, that's, it's set on that. And it can be set on good things, right? You can live that way and your mind is, is set on your marriage and your health and your work and your finances and your future, your reputation, all, all things that are in and of themselves worth consideration. And, and it, it would all seem eminently normal, and yet it is profoundly wicked simply and precisely because in all of that thinking, there's no God, no, no reference in a, in, a, in a way of worship, no, no honoring God as God, no giving thanks to God. It, it's just godless. Psalm 104 describes a wicked person in this way. I'm taking it from the King James Version, but it says the wicked, God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. He thinks about all kinds of things. There's just, there's just no God in it. It's godless. That, that's the mind, you see, of the flesh. And Paul tells us that the fruit of that mind is death. That's verse 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death. You see, the, um, if you orient your, yourself, your, your mind, around you know, this little world called you, well, that is not only death in the end, it's death in the act. To live apart from God is death by definition. You're embracing death in the very activity. And the reason why that's the case, Paul tells us very succinctly, um, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's not neutral, not ambivalent. That mind of that lady, she's just driving from the store and all her thoughts are just about her little world, that, that mind is at enmity with God. It's hostile to God. It's hostile to his person, it's hostile to his, his, uh, his cause, his intended purpose for those made in his image. You see, we, we were created by God, everyone was, and, and God's intended purpose was that we would live our life for his glory, for his cause, according to his word. That's, that's God's intended purpose for human life. And if you reject that purpose, it is an inherently hostile act. It, you can understand this if you think about a, a, a someone who hired you to work for them. He owns his own company, and he's built this thing up over the years, and, and now he's hiring you. He's paying you so that you could use your time and your gifts to the benefit of his company and his, and his own person. So, if you, if you steal from the company and, and burn down the plant, it's, it's not just a crime. That is an intentional hostility toward the owner, the one who hired you. It's, it's, it's hateful. Everyone would understand that. And the same with God. You see, there are so many people who just assume that because they're not maybe flagrantly sinning in their mind, in the way they do their life, that God is certainly is fine with them. Things are okay. They never, they don't 
They don't worship him. They don't make it a practice to, to get on their knees and thank him. They don't go to church to, to be with his people and to, to further his cause. They're just doing their life assuming what could be wrong. Well, this is, this is what's wrong. That mind is the mind, called, Paul called, that's the mind that, that is according to the flesh and is set on the things of the flesh. And God is offended because it's hostility toward him. And, and that mind does not submit to God's law. Doesn't, doesn't say, Lord, you teach me. You direct me. You are the king. You are the one who made me. I, I live for your glory. Direct me according to your word, according to your law. That mind does not do that. If God says do this, well, okay, maybe. If not, it's not a big deal. Everyone does that, just being human. Does not submit to God's law. And there's a, there's a fundamental fact here that Paul wants us to understand. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now again, that's a, that brings to a crashing halt the assumptions that people have that if they just live a decent, normal, moral life by their own de definition, if, if they have good intentions and make some good efforts, that of course God is pleased with them. And they would be offended if you were to su su suggest otherwise. Well, Paul says, no, no, no. If you are in the flesh and you're living that life with your mind set on this little world called self, uh, no reference to God, no worship of God, no submission to God's law, hear me clearly, Paul says. That life cannot please God. He sees it as hostility. Cannot please Him. Moose says, without the Spirit, people can only order their lives in a way that is hostile to God and that will incur His wrath. That's what the Bible says. And so if you've been on this road of, of just kind of doing you, no reference to God, no submission to God, no honoring God as God, giving thanks to God, if you're just doing you, well, you just need to hear what, what God says about that. It's not possible for you to please God in that context. So, you see, friends, this is why to be a Christian, well, it's the most amazing thing possible because to be a Christian, you see, is not just to have some process of moral reform. To be a Christian means that God has acted in your life to do something that you could never possibly do. What God has done is taken you out of that realm of the flesh so that you are not uh, of the flesh any longer with your mind set on the flesh, but, but God has, has acted in Jesus Christ to put you in the Spirit, and, and so that your nature now is according to the Spirit. And that's where Paul goes, verse 9, you, however, there's a distinction. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see, that's the Christian's true identity. A, a Christian is someone who is not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in them, and Christ is in them. Notice what he says in, in verse 9. Um, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is all about the Spirit, being in the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, verse 5. The Spirit of God dwells in you, verse 9. And if that's not true... Well, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. 
Anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ. Jesus makes this very clear in John chapter 3. Remember, he's, he's having a conversation with Nicodemus, this, this godly man by every account, a, con, a, a religiously concerned man, clearly. And yet Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's your distinction. John Stott says the hallmark of an authentic believer is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is not living in you, not dwelling in you, then you are not a Christian. You might think you're a Christian. You might act like a Christian. You might do things that Christians do. But if this is not true of you, this, this is what the text is saying, the Spirit is not there, you're not a Christian. Not yet. You can be, but you're not yet. You see, if, if you go to, through boot camp, uh, how do you be, actually become a Marine? Well, you go through boot camp, but you're not a Marine until they tell you you're a Marine. You graduate, and someone comes and pins something on you, and, and uh, they, they declare, they say, you, you are now a Marine. That's how you become a Marine. A Marine. Well, it's the same with a Christian. We don't, we don't just sort of self-name ourselves. God names us as a Christian. We're not a Christian until, until God says we are, and, and the way that God says we're a Christian is God gives us the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit brings us to faith in Jesus Christ, and that Spirit leads us to confess our sin, to see that we cannot possibly save ourselves. That Spirit gives us a desire to know God, a desire to worship God, a desire to be in communion with God. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit comes and dwells with us. The, the, the Greek word there is, is uh, related to the word for house. He comes, it takes up permanent residence. He's not a part-time renter. Once he comes, he comes for good. He never leaves. Moose says, for Paul, possession of the Spirit goes hand in hand with being a Christian. And however much we need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, the fact remains that from the moment of conversion on, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. If you are a Christian, the second person of the Trinity dwells in you. Dwells in you. All the time. Now, what will be true of that person? What will be true of that person? Well, Paul gives us a few things. First, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. That's verse 5. It's not that they no longer think about their marriage or their health or their work or their kids. Of course they think about those things. That's, that's the life God has given to us. But they will think about those things differently. Instead of the reference point being self, the reference point will be God. So, uh, so it's not just, I wish I had a better marriage. It's, I want a marriage that glorifies God. I want, I want in my marriage to be the man or to be the woman that God has called me to be. I don't want just, I don't want just obedient kids. Pagans want obedient kids. I want kids who know Jesus, kids who love Jesus, kids who belong to Jesus. That's what I want. And that my ministry as a parent is going to be to that end, not just to keep their nose clean, but, to, but that the Spirit of God will give them a new heart 
And then when I stand before Jesus on the last day, my kids will be standing there with me. The Spirit creates that. That's what the Spirit does. You just think about things differently. Your job isn't, do you like it, do you not like it, how much money you're making, all that stuff matters. But ultimately, am I honoring God when I check in? Is it evident that I belong to Jesus when I go to work? What about my friendships? What about the things that I watch on TV and listen to on on my way in? Are those things honoring to God? Does the Holy Spirit within me enjoy that program? You see, we just think differently. When the Spirit is there, you'll think about your sin and you'll you'll confess it, you'll grieve it, you'll you'll be striving daily to repent. You'll be laying hold of the grace of God. It'll matter to you that Jesus Christ died for your sin. You'll love the thought that with you there is forgiveness and therefore you are feared. That with the Lord is steadfast love and plentiful, bountiful redemption. You'll love that thought if the Holy Spirit's in your life. So the person that is of the Spirit has their mind just switched. New focus. Secondly, this person belongs to Jesus. When Paul says anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Jesus, the, the flip side means that those who do have the Spirit of Christ, they can know to the marrow of their bones they belong to Jesus. They belong to Jesus. One of the things that just has struck me, um, in the benediction, the ironic benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. God says to Aaron, speak these words because through these words I will put my name on them. The benediction is God putting his name on you. God saying, okay, you are mine. You belong to me. That's what it means to be a Christian. I belong to Jesus. It's how Paul defines a Christian in Romans chapter 1, verse 6. He defines a Christian as those who have been called by God, called sovereignly to belong to Jesus. That's what it means. I've been called to belong to Jesus. And and that changes everything. I I belong to Jesus. Body, soul, life, and death. What, what, What more precious truth could there be? You see, that's my identity. Whatever the world might say about me, And whatever weaknesses and failures and flaws I find within myself, this is the core truth about you as a Christian. You belong to Jesus. You belong to him. And not only that, but but Christ is in you by his spirit. I'm, I'm sure you've heard people say that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, that's not nearly good enough. It's way better than that. Christianity is a religion in which by the Holy Spirit, you don't just have a relationship with Jesus. I got a relationship with my dog. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means Jesus Christ dwells in you and you are in him. That's not a relationship. That is union. And it's life. 
That is the definition of life, to be in Christ and have Christ in you. That's life. That's glory. That's joy. That's hope. That's peace. That's what it means to be a Christian. And Paul emphasizes that point of life in verses 10 and 11. If Christ is in you, then although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Friends, death is part of our life here and now, right? It's, our bodies are dying, every single one of us. And we go stand at the, at the, the deathbeds of those we love, and one day it's going to be us in the bed. Our bodies are dying. But death does not have the last word. Paul says we are already alive in the spirit because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. Freely given. The law has been fulfilled. Its penalty has been paid. And the spirit then, uniting us to Jesus Christ, we have life in the spirit. And we have the irrefutable promise that death doesn't win. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. He's going to give life to your dying body through his spirit who dwells in you. God's salvation is going to be complete. You've been saved to the uttermost and one day your mortal self will put on immortality and your perishable self will put on the imperishable. That truth means a lot to me as I stand and watch Randy's body absolutely waste away. And one day that body is going to be raised in glory and honor because Jesus says so. The Holy Spirit dwells within him. And then when that happens, when, when, we, when we lay off, put off what's mortal and we put on what is immortal and we, we put away what is perishable and, and put on the imperishable, then the saying that is written will come true. Oh, death, where is your victory? And where, oh, grave is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's your true identity. You belong to Jesus. The Spirit of God dwells within you. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. You have eternal life, and you will be fully victorious over death. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Yesterday, Randy said, whispered, I'm ready for my victory. It's quite something to say when you're just moments from death. I'm ready for my victory. Are you? Are you, as a Christian, is that, is that what you're looking for? Is that what you're longing for? See, friends, God has given us this word because he wants to shape and mold our identity how we think of ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian. And he wants us to receive the truth of what he has done and what he is doing and what he promises to do, to receive it, believe it, embrace it. And if you're not a Christian today, if you just realize that your mind is, is really addicted and fixed on you and, and there really is no concern for God, there's no thought of God, there's no grief over sin, none of that is true of you. Well, that doesn't mean you're cut off, it just means you need to be saved. And this is the day of grace. Come, the Bible says, come to the waters, all you who are thirsty. 
Is that really the life you want to live? You just want to live for this little world of you, you know, without ever knowing the, the glory and the beauty of Jesus, without, without ever experiencing the wonder of full salvation in Jesus? Come, you are thirsty. Drink freely because Jesus will save you. And if you're a Christian and you're struggling, I would just encourage you, lay hold of this truth. You're not... You're, your glory as Mr. Painting on the Wall is not that you're, you're kind of keeping things straight. Your glory is that you are a masterpiece of the living God. And the most fundamental truths about your life are the things that God has said to be true and the things that God has done in Jesus and that God has promised in Christ. Grab hold, let embrace those things and watch the Spirit transform your life. Amen. Father in heaven, it's true of us what John Newton said, that we are not what we want to be, not yet, and we're not what we hope to be, we're not what we will be, but we're so thankful that we're not what we once were, that by the grace of God we are what we are, we are Christians. And Father, I, I beg that your spirit would help us to embrace and receive our identity as the, the, the work of God, the masterpiece of God. Not that we are anything in and of ourselves. We are just the clay, but you are the potter and you're making something beautiful for your glory by your power in us. And Father, I, I pray you would just profoundly encourage us and, and reorient our minds and hearts so that when we think of who we are, we think of ourselves in this way. Children of the Heavenly Father, filled with the Holy Spirit, belonging to Jesus, heirs of glory with Him. And that becomes the truth according to which we live Father, if there are any this morning who are not a Christian, do not have the Spirit of God, find within themselves no desire for the things of God. Father, I pray that they would see today the truth of their situation and their, their grave danger, that they are not living a life that is pleasing to you and cannot until the Holy Spirit remakes them and comes into their life and brings them to Jesus in a new and precious way. So Father, do that work by your grace as you've done for all of us. And we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's respond by standing together. We're gonna sing, I am not my own, I belong to the Lord. Let's stand to sing.
And God's people said, Amen. And now in Numbers chapter 6, God tells Moses to instruct Aaron and his sons to say this to the people, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And so receive these words from the Lord your God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace all in Christ, all by the Spirit, till he come again. Amen.
Good morning, boys and girls. Come on up to the front. If you'd like to stand up on the steps, you may do that. We need lots of singers, and we're going to start out with It's a Hallelujah Morning, because we belong to Jesus, right? It's a Hallelujah Morning. <laughs> 